You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. Today, we talk to Kim Goods. What I loved about my conversation with Kim today is when she talked about how important it is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable when we're running. And not just because that's good for your physical fitness, but it's also good for your mental fitness. And not only that, when you're mentally fit, everything in your life is affected in a positive way. So enjoy this podcast. Today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am delighted to introduce you all to a friend of mine from a work past called Kim Goods. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. It's really, it is a delight to have you. It's amazing how all areas of life, like we were talking about before we started recording, um, you know, we don't know each other because of running. We know each other because of work, although I think my husband also went to school with you. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. That only yeah. all came, you know, I wouldn't have known that because I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't for a work thing. So it's yes. kind of interesting how it all um, comes out. But I, I know that you run because we're connected on things like Facebook um, and maybe Strava as well. Uh, so. Yes, and it's a very Tasmanian thing, isn't it, that you meet someone yeah. through one thing and you find out you're connected in a whole range oh, of other totally. ways. So lots of levels we have of connection, which is really nice. To start with, what I want to know is some things that I don't know about you, apart from the fact, you know, a little bit about your um, background that you went to school with my husband for a period. But tell me more. Tell me, you know, obviously you grew up here, but maybe you didn't start here. I don't know. Tell me a bit about you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm. Uh, what I say, um, Launceston born and bred. So I was born in Launceston and went to Riverside Primary School, Riverside High School and Launceston College, which was then called Launceston Matrix. So very typical Tassie pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, my family are from Tasmania predominantly. Um, So I'm quite, particularly on my mum's side, many generations back Tasmanian. Um, my dad's family, his, they um, on his side were first generation Tassie. Um, and my sisters are still here. Um, one of my daughters is still in Tasmania. I've got two daughters. Yeah. Um, my baby, as I call her, even though she's in her mid-20s, she lives in Melbourne. But my older daughter and now my grandson live in Launceston still. So oh, a very, very Tassie family. And um, I always describe I had um, what I call a really privileged middle-class upbringing of, you know, just a lovely 1960s life in Riverside, um, growing up in a really beautiful period of Australia, I think. Mm. Um, So I'm in my late 50s now. So I was born in the early 60s and um, just, yeah, lived a very idyllic Tasmanian childhood, I think. Do you remember a lot about your sport side at school? So did you do a lot of sport at school? What did that look like? Yeah, look, every memory I have of sport at school is traumatic. Um, It was everything (laughs) from 
hiding at the back and hoping no one chose me to hating the fact that no one would choose me. Um, You know, in that primary school, you know, we had to pair up and people would always take the most athletic, sporty person that was never going to be me. I'm not, um, I'm just not naturally athletic at all. All the way through to in high school, I had um, what I would call really um, almost um, the comical and traumatic sporting experiences. I hated phys ed, um, like you would not believe. And in a strike of um, a stroke of great um, luck, I think it was grade nine, when I got my timetable for the year, I had not been placed into a PE class. So for the whole year, I just didn't go. I went and hid in um, the underpass or (laughs) somewhere around the school pretending to be busy doing something else. So I didn't have to do PE for one whole year and it was the best year of my high school life. I just did not enjoy it at all. I just, it just wasn't a thing. I felt uncomfortable in, um, in my own skin, I think, when it came to sport and anything that was athletic at all. Um, I have um, saying siblings that, went there, though. I mean, just mm. like Riverside, I would just dig in another layer on that is my understanding is, mm. as well as being quite a good academic school, also quite a sporting school. That's my... It was. It was, absolutely. And, and primary school and high school. So there was a mm. really strong focus on sport. And um, there was a lot of, um, I'd call, you know, looking back now, a lot of um, judgment and classification put on students based on whether they were good at sport or not. Um, But particularly the boys is my memory of that era, you know, who was good at footy or cricket. Um, I played softball in primary school and actually quite liked that, but a little bit of um, basketball until um, for people who are listening that may not have ever met me, I'm very short. So I'm just, I, I say I'm just five foot. Um, if I was truly honest, I'm probably not quite. Um, yes, and are. I'm probably quite tiny. shrinking. I am oh. shrinking a little as I've got older. I'm, um, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but I put a lot of effort now into um, ab work and posture work and gym work because I can see that I may end up quite short as I get older. Oh. <laughs> you know, the, like, so, I've been my height since grade six and I'm quite a bit taller than you. But I yes. used to have nightmares. I hated it because everybody yeah. else was, including the boys, they were all shorter than me. And then yep. I, I just didn't grow anymore. And so now I'm just average, really. But, you know, yep. so it's funny, isn't it? We have these body yeah. um, ideas and, I, and they're never positive, no matter what we have. Potentially, <laughs> I didn't grow much after grade six either. But unfortunately for me, um, grade six, I was not very tall. So yeah. so that I think that really did impact on my sense of confidence when it mm-hmm. came to whether it was PE at school or I had loved to play basketball but because everyone grew around me it actually became really impractical for me to stay in the team so um, I think that probably shaped my early thinking around it yeah yeah. and then the other thing that I think was a big influence in that sort of those formative years for me was because of my peer group at school and my desire to be part of that peer group I took up smoking so oh. I smoked um, from probably, you know, um, maybe 15 or 16, grade yeah. 9, grade 10-ish um, for many years. And, of course, that yeah. greatly impacted yeah, um, as you, I... What you chose what I, and the people you surround exactly. yourself with and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So even as I probably grew out of that stage of life, the addiction of nicotine had set in for me and it was a really hard habit to break. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I did also smoke, but sort of from about 18 to 21, mm. like not for a long, yeah. long period, but long enough to know that it's really not an easy thing to, to give up either. Stop. And it, yeah. I, there was a, an interesting culture back then too, though. You mm. could be a football player and a netball player That's and right. a smoker and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. well, obviously they still drink, but, you know, they, but it was like within the culture it was that was fine like it wasn't in the 70s and 80s it wasn't really yeah you know you were and I think there was probably a low level awareness that it wasn't that great for you but Mm. potentially not at the level around your your lung capacity and the things that make you um, able to enjoy physical exercise or not I don't think we had any awareness or understanding of the impact of smoking Mm. um so yeah it's just a different time really mm, really different yeah. what about your um you said you have one sister two, two sisters two yeah sisters. I've got two sisters were they yeah. sporty or either of them are either of them um sporty? not not particularly we had horses even though we lived uh-huh. at Riverside we had um we were, horsey. we were yeah Michelle's riding school was us and we all went there I I've got photos of me on horses that aged four you know it was that was our sport, really. Yeah. And then um, where we lived in Riverside, my parents um, brought some land off Ray Bailey's farm and we had a few acres down there. And so we had our own horses as we got older. Um, so both my sisters particularly um, were really into the horse riding and my younger sister um, did a lot of Jim Carner and showing of horses, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so that was more of our sport than anything. Mm. So no, I don't... Um, I don't think either my, either of my dad played squash so mm-hmm. um and he was a really good cyclist in fact he'd been a junior wow. state champion cyclist but they were a very solo um sport pursuits. endeavors they weren't team based and pursuits thank you um so I don't you know we weren't, we didn't grow up going and watching team sport for anyone in our family um yeah so it was really the horse yeah. riding that dominated mm. that's interesting so you left school Obviously, mm-hmm. what what did you do next after after matric after um, Launceston uh, College? Well, I had a kind of a um, what I call a bit of an eclectic career stage where I tried a bit of everything and never really knew what I wanted to do. And yeah, I mean, I think you and I are probably similar age, but it was seen as a very highly respectable thing for a good Launceston girl to do to get a job in a bank. And so after a few years of sort of what I would call nothing jobs, I did land a job in a bank, which made everybody very happy um, because that was meeting that sort of societal expectation. Mm -hmm. So I spent nearly 10 years working at the ANZ Bank in Launceston right up until I had my first daughter and went on maternity leave. And when I went back after maternity leave, I was 29 um, and I just, I, I, it wasn't for me anymore. I, mm. you know, I'd lost the um, the real desire to work in banking. It had started yeah. to change and become quite um, aggressive in its marketing and insurance yeah. and selling, um, yeah. and I just didn't like it. So um, at that point, I left, and it's sort of when I did one of my more major changes in life. And um, when my second daughter was born, I was thirty-one, and I that's when I went to university for the first oh. time when she was about. Um, 10 weeks old in fact um, I put my first foot onto the campus of UTAS feeling very nervous and unworthy mm. yeah but so you obviously stuck to it what, what absolutely um well I had just um again followed what I thought this might, 
would be, sorry, I'm being attacked by my cat, um, a traditional <laughs> path and had enrolled in business studies but realised quite quickly how boring that was for me and not to say I think it's a boring subject but for me. And so I started to study sociology and that was my first sort of interest in social policy and um, the impact that that can have on people's lives and that's where I ended up going in my career. Cool. We, we just had a cat go across the screen. It was very cute. Yep. And it fluffy. was. That's that's Osha. <laughs> so you Osha so you cat. studied um you studied is it sociology? That's what yeah, predominantly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't oh, wow. finish the degree because I ended up getting a job in that space and working oh. um and thinking I'll go back and finish those last few subjects, but I never did. Um but that went led me on to um studying public sector management and public se- public policy as well. Yeah. Um yeah, so well that's fascinating. Yes. So, well, what? So now you're, say, you're 31, or mm. you know, you're going to use uni for a couple of years. Maybe you're 33 or something, or 34. Are you? Are you still smoking? Are you, I am. You're still smoking. Did, I'm still smoking. I'll tell you about this in a minute. But I did my first half marathon um, while still smoking. What? Um, when I finally found the love of exercise, I hadn't yet found the um, ability to give up cigarettes. So um, I'll tell you that story a bit later, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I smoked until my very early 40s. Wow. Um, oh, there you yeah. Go. Um, my marriage broke up when um, in my early 30s when my girls were quite young. So um, I sort of I picture my 30s um, predominantly as um, single parenting and just mm. managing that juggle of, um, doing what you've got to do just yeah. to kind of pay the bills, pay the mortgage, get mm-hmm. by. Yep, not really think about yourself as much, but think about raising your kids. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, you weren't doing any kind of exercise for fitness? Not a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, scrubbing the bath, washing the clothes, you know, the general housework. Um, and a bit with the kids you know we'd go to the park of a weekend or whatever but not not for me it was not exercise as I now know it wow and and in my head I think at that point if I had consciously considered it I would still have had the image of um a really you know uncomfortable sense of self that I still carried with me from my high school experience of sport I think yeah so Mm. you would have found it sort of a bit more challenging to just sort of pick up without yeah other well, I guess that leads on to why did you or how did you? How did mm. you start running? Well, I know that you've just released a podcast where you interviewed Meg and yeah. it was Meg that introduced oh. me to exercise. Um, and it, I, her and I still, um, we kind of wonder at the how the universe connected us in the first mm. place, which was through my older sister who had met her through some stuff they were doing together. Um, I had, I just wasn't in a great place. It was my early forties. I'd had a bit of a change in my life. Um, some, you know, relationship, um, breakup had happened, etc. And my sister encouraged me to meet Megs and just go and do some boot camp or something. So I'll never forget it. I went to the first boot camps. So Meg came to my house. We actually lived about six houses away from each other in Abbott Street. And so she just rocked up to my house one day because I hadn't returned her phone call and knocked on the door and came in and sat down. And by the time she left, I'd signed some form to say I was doing boot camp. 
You signed um, your life away to Meg Richards. Pretty much. With you. <laughs> I know. And I turned up to the Amazing. first session, which was at Royal Park, and there was a rugby field. Um, and so it was the first session of an eight-week block of boot camp. Mm. And um, you had to do a bit of a benchmark testing or a baseline so she could get a sense of where you were at. Uh-huh. And the first thing we had to do was a lap of the rugby field. And I was <gasps> like, jog. And it was just like, oh, my God, I, I reckon I'd taken 10 paces and I was just not going to be able to do it. I was struggling to get around um, jogging. I mean, I could walk it quite easily. And I did power walk quite a bit, but that was about it. Um, and in every other thing, every other exercise, I was just so not there. Um, so it just grew from there, really. And So you kept um, going it, because you signed a piece of paper or why did you keep going? Like, because uh, this will, I guess, be part of this discussion because I've got a very determined head mm-hmm. and I don't like anything beating me mm-hmm. mentally. I don't like to be beaten by something that is my uh, against myself. It's not mm-hmm. about competitive mm-hmm. with anybody else, it's about myself. So, um, I had um instantly met. One, I turned up to this first session, some new people who were really lovely and they were texting me or encouraging me. Meg's was really encouraging. In fact, I think she probably picked me up for the first four or five sessions so I couldn't not go. Um, And she was just so encouraging. You know, instead of feeling crap about it, I actually felt really good about every step forward I was taking. And I can remember having this... um, I feel a bit emotional actually talking about oh. this because I clearly remember um, coming home and crying oh. after we did the Brahm Street stairs and I could not just do one lap up and down but by then I could do two, which That's was amazing. a big deal um, yeah. from the base I was coming off and I just felt so powerful all of a sudden that I went home and cried. That's um, awesome. That yeah, is it was. really powerful. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> So I always think, like, I'm the pin-up woman for anyone who says I can't do exercise or run or do anything because, trust me, if you saw what I came off as a base, it was pretty low. Um, So were you still smoking when you went up those stairs? Just out of I was. No, that was in the first block of boot camp. That was the first eight weeks. Yeah. So by the end of it, I could do like three or four laps of the rugby field as a slow jog. And then Meg said, oh, I've got another boot camp starting, but I've also got a small group and they're going to train for a 5K run. Why don't you do that too? So, and it sort of just went from there. And then I did a 5K and then she said, well, what about a 10? You know, we're going to do a 10. Um, And then I did a few 10s. And then she said, oh, if you can run 10, you can run 21. Mm And so this is sort of like probably only eight, ten months later, maybe a year later, um, I did the Cadbury half marathon and just loved the training as much as I loved the actual event. But when I finished it, came up the hill, I came across the line. It was I was really slow, like I was three hours or something, um, well over three, or just on three hours for the half. Um, And then as soon as I finished. I had to duck behind my car and have a quick cigarette because I hadn't had one for three hours. Oh, <laughs> wow. for like, and I look that's back on amazing. that now and I just think, oh, my God, that's just horrible. But no. that was the, the the physical and mental yeah. addiction to nicotine versus where I'd probably already in my head moved on from that. But I hadn't yet been able to 
give it up. So the actual chemical, anyway, that, chemical yeah. um, reactions that exactly. were going on. Yeah. Yeah. But in in that um, you know, it was really that sense of encouragement, not just from Meg's, but by then I'd just made some beautiful new friends mm-hmm. and and we're still friends, you know, like um a couple of my very best friends now. I didn't know until my very first day at boot camp with Megs and, you know, they've oh. become my lifelong friends and, yeah, so we still, still run together. You're still running, obviously, like you just said, and I, I know that you're still running. Um, yeah. What is What part does running play in your life now? So we're talking how many years ago was that? I'd say that was is that 15, 17, 17, years, 17 ago? years ago when I wow. rocked up to Megs' first class, yeah, <laughs> first boot camp. Um, and for me now, um, I mean, I've had, it's been a what I call an on again, off again love affair, mm-hmm. um, and occasionally I have to call it off because my life takes over, yeah. or I let the excuses of my life take me over. Uh-huh. Um, but mostly, it's my constant, and it's just my—it's everything. It's my meditation, yeah. my sanity. Some days, um, even though my kids are now grown up and left home, it's the only time I get to be in my head by myself. Yeah, because um, yeah. there's usually somebody or something else in there with me, <laughs> except when I run, and that's kind of like this moment where I can switch right off. So, um, the work that you do, I'm only a little bit aware of it, but I mm. I do believe it's pretty full on. Mm. Can you explain a bit of that now, like where you're at now? So we heard a little <clears throat> bit, you know, through your yeah, and- um, and look, through my 30s and then into my 40s and right through into my 50s actually um my early when I turned 50 um I'd been running by then for about five or six years and I had um, given up I gave up smoking when I was about 41 I think um so you know nine years later I'd done two marathons um about probably about 18 half marathons lots of tens and fives you know in events but just loved running and then um, my girls had both left home and for the first time um, I could do whatever I wanted to do work-wise. Mm-hmm. And my business partner at the time had um, taken what I call the bean change and set up a coffee shop. So anyway, long story short, a job that I'd always thought would be a brilliant job for social change in Tasmania came up and it was in Hobart. Yeah. So I applied for it and got it and we moved to Hobart and that, put a pretty abrupt end to my running because it was a massive job it consumed me Mm. and I loved it but it was um all consuming and quite public facing as well very public yeah yeah. it's really full-on um and intense most days very intense very Mm. political um very public um and um a lot of kind of you know not bad pressure but a lot of pressure um but equally I didn't have yeah. Um, but I left all my running buddies behind in the north. And it was really tough to get out and run by myself. Yeah. Um, my husband runs as well. He's a good runner. And so he and I would do a bit of running together. But between the job and he's a much faster and much better runner than I am. Um, so it just, I, it fell away. Mm. Um, and for five years while I took on that CEO role, I had an off and on again, kind of, I went to the gym a bit, went to, you know, a couple of different gyms, found some really good gym buddies, but equally not quite um, ready to engage at the same level as in the North. So um, I've spent probably from 50, having discovered and loved exercise and running in my early forties, in my early fifties, I let it go, Mm -hmm. um, which 
um, you know, my number one tip to anyone is if you ever get there, don't ever let it go because it's it so hard to get it back again. Um, so a couple of years ago, well, actually early last year, um, I decided that five years in that role was plenty and it was time to hand the baton on mm -hmm. to someone else. And I left and then COVID happened. Um, so it's been an interesting journey since yeah. then, but I'm back running now um, like I used to. Um, but it's taken me a little while to get that level of consistency and running okay. fitness back. Working for yourself now. So does that mean you yeah. put when you get your calendar out, like I do mine on a Sunday night, mm -hmm. do the runs go in first or do you... Do you have that kind of flexibility or do you look at the calendar and put your meetings and things in first? Bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, um, it just depends. But I'm um, so re-establishing 3P after five years of putting it on the shelf. Um, it has taken me a while to get the rhythm of that right, I think. Okay. And when I first started working for myself and still the same, I've got a lot of work. I've got, you know, work coming at me from a lot of areas and I've got a small team now sitting behind me but um I've just started to really prioritize my running time and my gym time um so that um that's in the diary and it's part of my week most weeks I can't mm. say I'm perfect but and I think that's part <laughs> of it of you can't are. none of us are exactly and I look at you always look at other people and go oh they've done all their runs this week I'm sure and I haven't but actually I think they're probably just like me and you and that's everybody right. else and exactly. it's hit and miss yeah, so I'm, um, I had a, I, I made a really um, conscious decision last year and I entered a couple of big events, most of which got cancelled because mm. of COVID and I kept thinking maybe I'm jinxing parts of Australia and every time I enter a run there, they get COVID. You should put a warning um, out, please don't, <laughs> this is not the race yep. you should enter because I just entered it. <laughs> so, um, but in that, yeah, exactly right, that's what I was thinking. Um <laughs> But in amongst all of that, I um, over the COVID lockdown period, um, I just fell in love with trail trail running. Oh, yeah. So I entered um, last year, um, probably about October, actually about this time last year, I entered Gone Nuts <laughs> and I made that my goal because I had done it a couple of years earlier and I was so unprepared for what I'd signed up for mm -hmm. and I had at that point, I could run 21. I was running half marathons and I thought, oh, I can run 21. I don't really need to train for it. I'll just go out and do a 25. That's not much more. And I nearly died. It was horrific. <sighs> so anyway, um, that that became my goal last year to train really hard. And it's not how you sell it, by the way. It was really horrific. And that's why I went back because <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> that's that's kind of my point around the mental toughness it's and the right. mental determination. Yeah. If it, it, it beat me, you see, the first time. So I had to go back and beat it, wow. which I did. And um, I took about an hour and a half off my previous time that's awesome. um, when I did it in February. So that was great. Well done. That's not one that yeah. I've tackled yet because it, it scares me. Mm. And I've seen yeah. videos like of people on it and I'm like, oh gosh, that just goes straight up and the ground doesn't look all that pleasant. <laughs> it's like no, chunky it's, gravel and stuff. Not yeah, really tufts of grass and yeah. cow paddocks. And yeah, it's amazing actually, but um, it, it certainly feels good when you're done. Yeah. So, so do you, are you very goal focused, do you think? Like, so you having that goal for a race, like entering a race mm. is what one of the things that gets you out the door? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I would like to say I'm so disciplined. I don't need to do that, but actually I've always got one entry sitting ahead of me. Mm. Um, 
and it makes me get up and do the runs because I don't know whether everyone's like this, but I've never not. Um, it, 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 I, I'm blah, stuttering now, but it's hard right. for me to get out the door for every run. Yeah. Once I start, I love it. But yeah. um, so I do need that um, constant, okay, I'm training for this event, therefore I have to. And um, that keeps me honest. Do you have any other tricks for getting out the door? Not really, no, <laughs> except uh, I've got a pushy husband who knows my goals and I, he keeps me accountable um, if I ask him to. Otherwise, he'd be too scared to do that. But, um, and I've got a couple of good friends who I run with now in Hobart, which is oh, really excellent. lovely, and I've still got a couple of my really close running friends in the north. Um, I am so much better getting out the door if I'm meeting someone. Yep. Um, even if we don't run at the same pace, we meet and we, you know, so a couple of my friends were at different paces, but we will say, right, we'll meet here and we'll run out for 40 mm -hmm. and back. And wherever we turn, we turn. So we end up mm -hmm. back around about the same time. So for yeah. me, that's my number one um, way to make sure I tick off my runs is be um, running with a small group of people who are, we're all looking after each other in that yeah. regard. That being accountable. Um, but, yeah. But I do think um, uh, I've probably got better, particularly with um, probably with trail running, that um, I have more, I think, internal motivation to do that as well. Like I can picture now how beautiful it is and I'm kind of looking at you but looking out my window because yeah. where I live in Hobart is Denern, which is just not that far from under the mountain. Okay. Um, so the end of my street um, at the end of Waterworks Road is Waterworks Reserve, which then goes up onto the, mountain. the mountain. Yeah. So I can quite quickly visualise how much I love it when I'm up there and then I just go, right, all you've got to do is walk out the door and then you're on your way up there and then oh, you're wow. okay. What a great yeah. spot to be. I was talking to someone last week on the podcast and he just loves trails as well actually a lot of people mm. do I love trails too anyway he was saying he's so eco-conscious that he, one of his biggest problems is he doesn't like to drive to the trail so uh, but um, trail shoes are not that good on footpath that he needs to no. run on to get to the trail it's one of his biggest bugbears how to um how to get there without Design. yeah a shoe that does both or or maybe the spiky bits will come out the bottom of your shoe at some point <laughs> you can yeah. press a button I don't know <laughs> anyway. yeah kind of a lug release or something <laughs> exactly yeah yeah loves the trail so much um so are you a morning or afternoon when, when do you prefer to run obviously you prefer <laughs> trails now than the road yeah although I still do a bit quite a bit of running around the road um in Hobart and in the north but um I have to run in the morning mostly because yeah. I let my day take me over and yeah. by like after that. work, work never would end. Um, mm. So I just think once it's done, it's done. Mm. Um, so mostly I'm out and doing that really early, either at the gym or a run, and I try and do that, you know, between five and seven days a week, I'll either do a gym or a run in the morning okay. if I can. Yep. Um, but on the weekend, I love to sleep in. <laughs> so I still do morning, but the morning is a much later morning. A bit later. Yeah, yeah totally yeah. understand that. Now that running clubs finish for the, the winter, I tend to be a later in the morning person on the weekends as well. Yeah, I will get back exactly. to park run, I promise. <laughs> yes, so I've been, that's on my to-do list, but I haven't got there yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same. Um, 
what kind of things are you thinking about when you're running? So before you, you did mention that, um, you know, it's time for you. So what, mm. you know, what type of, you have to give us detail. But, um, no, no. <laughs> what, um, what sort of things do you think about? I think I um, subconsciously, um, it's almost like what I understand happens when you sleep, where you work through what's in your subconscious. Mm. And so often at the start of my run, I'll still have um, a work issue or something I'm trying to deal with um, professionally might be yeah. running through my mind as I start off on my run. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like I can, I can cleanse it out of my mind while I'm running. I don't know why, but I get a lot of clarity of thinking. Um, and then I actually try and clear my mind altogether. And I don't really think of anything. I, I usually run with music, although if I'm on a trail um, and I'm by myself, mm-hmm. I tend to turn it off. So on the weekend, I, um, I did a little loop around the Freycinet Hazard Speech Loop in, um, on the East Coast. Yeah. And I, I didn't have any, any music in for that at all. I just tuned in. And that's what I kind of, why I love trail is I try and tune into what's the sounds I'm hearing on the trail. And in that case, there was ocean as well. Mm. Um, what bird sounds can I pick up? What smells am I smelling? It's like that really trying to kind of, I don't know, come to life in terms of your senses. Mm. You're being um, very present. Yeah, mindful. exactly that. Yeah. Mm. Um, Versus when I'm on the road, it's almost like the rhythm of my run, which is pretty slow, I might add. When people listen to this, this is not a person talking who's burning out fast runs, just by the way. I'm just turning it over and really loving that. Mm. And so I think I let the rhythm of my pace actually, um, I use that almost as a meditative um, process in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not really thinking about that when that's happening. Um, and that's why on the road I usually do have headphones in playing some music because yeah. I just get lost in the songs mm. yeah yeah and picturing what my life might have been have... like <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um and picturing what my life might have been like if I was a famous singer oh of no, course not really. do you sing yeah. while you're running <laughs> no never. never never oh maybe you should try that sometime when you're out on the trail yeah, no. Or when yeah, you're in the no. middle of really loud traffic because <laughs> no one else can hear. Yeah, that's no, true. It might be a big release. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But no, I just like getting lost in the music a bit. Yeah, that's mm. lovely. Um, you said before that you do like to have a, a race goal, always something. So mm. what's your next one? What's your next mm-hmm. goal? Wow. When should podcasts go to air? Uh, this one will probably be in January, like oh, early that's January. Okay. That's fine. So you can I talk about told, it now. <laughs> no, I haven't told most people I know. Um, so I've entered Larapinta for April, the trail. I know. That's like five days, isn't four. it? It's a staged event. Stage. You get to sleep four, at night. Four <laughs> stages. That's so awesome. multi-day. Yeah. So I've, I've entered Gone Nuts, which mm-hmm. is 5th of March. But this year, that's more of a peaking training run for the Larapinta Trail, which is the 25th of April. How many kilometres is that? Stage one is 12, but it's at night. Um, Stage two is 20. So it's four days in a row. Um, Stage two is 22. Mm -hmm. um, But that's the hardest day because the complexity of that 
day apparently is really hard. It's quite steep and really rocky. Mm-hmm. Stage three, I think, is 26 and stage four is 25. Okay. Mm. That sounds like an amazing challenge that will get you out the door a lot in the next few months. And I, I've, um, I've got 20 days before the event, I think, or something. There's a cutoff date that I can withdraw. Um, but my goal is to turn up. I've entered all four stages. And my goal is to turn up there hoping and being ready to do all four. And every day, if I think, okay, that day took me out, then I'll accept that or maybe have a break day. Um, But I'm as many, as close to the four as possible will be my goal. That's awesome. Mm. One of my, maybe in the first 10, I spoke to Les Corson. He either had just done it or was about to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually listened to that episode and I must go back and listen again and maybe you should check in and see whether he had done it. I don't think he, I think he was training for it. Just about to do it, but he did it this year. He did just, yeah. 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 I I got um, really interested in, there's a movie called The Four Deserts Runs where they followed the Australian runner whose name I've forgotten. Um, and she did the four deserts. She was the youngest person to ever complete them all. Oh, wow. And I really, um, it's quite a funny story, actually. I was, it was on at um, the cinema in Launceston and some of my running friends were there, but they weren't, we weren't sitting together because we couldn't get seats near each other. And as soon as the Gobi Desert Run came on, friends of mine who were sitting like 10 rows back were texting me going, we're not doing it. Because <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one in that group who always says, let's do this. Look at this run. Oh, this looks brilliant. Um, and drag them to extreme places like Great Ocean Road and whatever. <laughs> so they kind of knew as soon as they saw me watching that, that I would want to do it. So anyway, the Gobi Desert um, and the Four Deserts run has kind of stuck in my head for about 10 years now. So that's why I kind of thought, uh, let's just give Larapinta a try and see what happens. Supposed to be amazing. I have, yeah. and I've got a, quite a few friends who've walked it as well. Yeah, done the bushwalk. So it's on twice a year, and I really want it to um, enter the August one, but it was sold out within oh, so wow. quickly. I didn't so even know it was twice a, a year. <laughs> so yeah, incredible. so it's April and August, but it's much hotter in April when I'm going to do it, which is probably going to be a bit of a challenge training in Tassie and then moving to the middle of the heat of the desert of the northern territory but you know here we go that's a little challenge was it like years ago I think maybe for a a commonwealth games they showed an Australian training for the commonwealth games that was going to be in Malaysia and very humid Mm. or something and she was training in her kitchen with all the pots on so that with all the so all the steam and stuff was in there and she was just training on her treadmill to try and emulate that sort of you just have to work out how you can do that here yeah well it's sort of like back on Meg's I've had some really great people like Meg's and Annie Alston who's in Hobart um she's a lovely friend but also can you know she's a great coach in that regard mm. and so um she's got a training plan for Lara Pinter because she's done it a few, yeah. few times I think she might have won it at least once um so yeah I'll spend I, I do when I'm going to do something that's a bit out of my comfort zone I do go and get a bit of professional <laughs> advice and yeah <laughs> how am I going to do that help me work this out so she and others are really good at that and that's probably a good tip for people too if you yeah. want to do something 
that is, you know, whether it's starting running or stretching your running to a space that's a bit out of your comfort zone, just hunt and gather everybody you can that you can find who can give you some ideas or tips or advice because people are so open to doing that. It's really lovely. Yeah. Don't mm. you just find people just waiting to not waiting to be asked, but nobody will say yeah. no. I'm not telling you, you know, exactly go away. Yeah. Instead, go away everyone's or... supportive and they're they're um, you know, that's awesome. Let me, you know, share yeah. my experience or this is what I'd suggest. That's right. Really, yeah. just everyone has an opinion. <laughs> they want yeah. to peace. <laughs> that's right. And that's what Hanny did for me when I decided to really have a go at gone nuts last year. She was great. She, mm. you know, set me up with the right thinking and yeah advice yeah that's awesome um to well you just said the right thinking can you um mm-hmm. can you elaborate on that how how are you trained to have the right thinking when you know you're going into something challenging that that basically I assume that's because it beat you last time or you feel like it did in your head put it that way yeah how did that um unfold part of it I think is just literally um so we, everybody puts a lot of um, focus on working on your physical fitness, mm-hmm. um, but your mental fitness is as A, hard to fine tune and mm-hmm. B, as, as important, if not more important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. And, um, you know, coming off, a, I refer to it as that low base physically, um, my mental attitude to fitness was non-existent. It just didn't, it wasn't something I thought about really until I experienced my lack of fitness mentally as well as physically. Mm, Um, And yeah. And then um, I think it was really, for me, it's, it's, I am very goal focused, but I'm Mm. quite, um, I'm kind of a bizarre person in some ways sure my husband in the other room would agree with this I'm a bit of a contradiction of terms because I can be pretty oh yeah whatever you know not worry about stuff but when I set my mind to something I'm so disciplined and determined um, that the only thing that will stop me doing it will be if I break down physically because I won't stop mentally Um, I'll push through but that's really it it takes as much um, focus and concentration as um, getting out the door for a run Mm. so you know um, dealing with those sort of um, internal voices that might tell you you're not going to be able to do that. Why would you even think about it? Um, I work, um, well, people might think I'm quite confident and extroverted. Mm-hmm. Um, externally, like everybody, I have to work really hard at that and have mm-hmm. to really um, have a strong mindset around that. And I read, um, I read things, I have... Um, Again, you know, some of the advice I've been given over the years around thinking about the different types of people you're um, you're trying to be as you're out pushing through the mental barrier of physical exercise, mm-hmm. particularly running, you know, and that I'm going to be today, I'm going to go out and just be curious about what I see on a trail versus um, wanting to go out and be more of a warrior type and really, you know, claim this ground. And yeah. so there's some really great um, research and um reading that you can do about um, how you just make sure that you set your mind in the right place every time you walk out the door for a run so that it's not a chore that you're just ticking off on the Mm. list of runs you've got to do because you want to do that event you're actually taking each run and turning into something that's really powerful for your mind Mm. Um, and for me I draw down on that a lot 
um, like I've had um, over the you know life of work, but you know more recently, particularly some pretty full-on negotiations I've had to walk into, and some fairly um, intense and um, sometimes challenging environments. And so um, I draw down on how tough I have to be mentally to push through a run that's really hard when I'm about to tackle something professionally that's going to be really hard. And so I really have this sort of sense of how I draw the parallels between those two things. And the more mentally strong I am um, in my um, fitness, the more mentally strong I can be um, in other parts of my life and particularly professionally when I need to be. Um, so I describe um, working really hard and focusing on being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, I love that phrase. Same, yeah. So that really, really resonates for me. Um, and I have to practice that. So I consider sometimes when I'm running, I'm practicing how to mentally push through how uncomfortable I'm feeling mm. physically. And, mm. and I know that the more I can do that um, in a physical environment be that running or at the gym or whatever the more I can apply that in times in my life when I might need to Mm. personally or professionally and that that to me is um, again it comes back to it's not really about how tall you are or how slender or lean you are or anything else it's about how strong you are Mm. Um, and for me the strength actually comes from my mind um, Mm. and that then follows through into my body not the other way around Mm. I love that it's very empowering and it's it's totally uh you put it in such great words so so thank you appreciate it Mm. um I heard something not that long ago about how if we don't get comfortable with being uncomfortable you know when we're young like us in our 50s Mm. then um we have to make some time for when we're older and because we're going to be uncomfortable yes. all the time then, because it, that's just talking about the physical, that's not even talking about the mental, which is what you were also yeah. talking about. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, I hadn't um, thought about it as much, um, you know, in regards to that, which actually does bring me to a question um, I wanted to ask, mm. which I'm sure everyone is thinking, and that is how did you give up smoking? <laughs> how did you, when did you? Are you still smoking? So I think I was, no, God, no. Um, I think I was, uh, I haven't smoked for about 16 years, maybe a bit longer. Um, I think I was about 41 um, and I tried everything. I tried cold turkey, I tried hypnosis, whatever, whatever. In the end, I used the Champix drug, okay. um, which you can go to your GP and yep. get. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite, um, I would recommend it only as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, because and I don't even know if it's still on the market Mm. but um, it does play around with your chemicals in your brain the chemicals that make you crave Um, yeah this is sort of a funny story but I actually got quite addicted to the Champix (laughs) (laughs) so um, I can still remember where I had my last cigarette I was standing on the corner of a street in Melbourne and I can literally picture it I, I so you start taking the Champix for about a week and then you choose a day around about five to seven days in because mm. you've let it build up in your brain. So I knew that consciously that was going to be my last mm. ever cigarette. And it was. I've never had a cigarette since then. Um, but then I got quite addicted to the Champix. So then my GP had to help me um, wean off the Champix. Oh, wow. um, so 
Because it is, um, it does play around a lot with the with chemicals the chemi- in your brain. Mm. Yeah, and mm. this is me as a layperson describing that. I'm sure that any um, GP or medical mm. practitioner listening would have a better understanding of what that's like. So, um, but equ- but equally, it worked for me. And um, it's not to say it was easy. It was a re- still took all the strength I had mentally to not want another cigarette. Were you had you started running by then, or started at boot camp by then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've done that half marathon. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's so. No, it, I was probably about yeah. eighteen months into my um, discovering that there was this yeah. um, thing I could enjoy called fitness rather than something I feared okay. or didn't want to do. So yeah, um, but it was just I could not give up the physical addiction to the nicotine. Yeah. It was just yeah. really deeply entrenched. Do mm. you, Do you feel like probably not at? Well, maybe there are times. Do you feel like the running? is also has an addictive element to you, oh, definitely. For you at times. So that's why I sort of, yeah, I mean, it's not funny, but I was sort of laughing tongue in cheek that I got addicted to the Champix. I yeah. potentially have an addictive personality. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I do. You know, if I'm being really honest, no, I, I do. And so um, if I really want to do something, um, then it can take me over. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, Life um, can get really busy with work, but if you're really loving what you're doing and it's a healthy thing, not mm. an unhealthy thing, um, then that's that's the best redirection of that mm. kind of addictive personality. So that's what I try and do. But, you know, I, I can't lie. There are times when my work just takes me over and mm. consumes me still. So um, it's a great way to make sure that I don't let that happen. Mm, mm. To give yourself some space. That way, yeah. um was talking recently again with somebody about duality mm. and how the fact that you know um, having that an addictive sort of nature is doesn't isn't mm. necessarily a negative thing. In fact, it's a positive for you in many many ways in your life, um, including being able to stick to the running, you know, being able to get your business right. um, humming, and all, and you know, just being able to achieve goals in the running, for example, and other things that you've done without that, you know, real gumption grabbing a yes. 60s and 70s word or whatever wherever that came from um yeah it would have been more way more challenging without that in your life so oh absolutely I think sometimes though um you've just got to be careful when you've got a personality like mine mm. where you know sometimes I do wonder why couldn't I just go out and enjoy 5k runs mm. why did I have to enter a multi-day event or you know do a marathon 